Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. I know you told your friend you're not okay. And tell me what's wrong and why you never said you felt that way. Welcome back to season four of A Million Other Choices. I am still your host, Kim. But I've known you too long, it hurts to watch your blue eyes fade to gray. As you fade away, as you fade away. I wasn't gone very long, but it was enough of a break for me to get caught up on some stuff. As an independent podcaster, my little project hobby here has taken on a bit of a life of its own, and I do do all of it myself from the researching and writing, the recording, editing, social media posts, and now YouTube. So I appreciate all of you that tune in each week and your words of support and encouragement and all of that. It just, it keeps me going. As for this season, I hope to have some more interesting cases to bring you. Um, I am hoping to make it out to CrimeCon this year at the end of May. I have tried the TikTok thing. That's probably not going to happen. It's just too much work in an arena that I have no business trying to break into. Uh, But there is one wee thing that we're going to do a little bit differently this year. As you have probably figured out by now, intimate partner homicide in those that take out their own family members is a subject that I explore a lot in the cases that I cover. And it probably doesn't surprise you why that is. So this season, I have decided once a month to feature a woman murdered by an intimate partner here in Canada during the year of 2018, which of course I chose that year because it was the same year Taylor was murdered, but it was also a very bad year for women with a large spike in gender-based murders that year, not just here in Calgary, but all across Canada. So each month there's going to be a case like that, and today is one of those days. This is the murder of Linda Santos. What is so frustrating about this case is how hard it was to track down any information more than just a quick blurb on the news. I tried to track down Linda's surviving children to see if I could talk to them, but there's just so little information on this case available that I only had their first names. But I think that Linda's story is important to share, so I'm going to tell you what I do know. The city of Toronto is actually just one part of the greater Toronto area. The entirety of this greater Toronto area is an area of municipalities called the Golden Horseshoe and made up of Durham, York, Peel and Halton. And within Peel is the districts of Brampton, Caledon and Mississauga. And when it comes to crime in the, in the greater Toronto area, Toronto actually ranks 24th in the world for the safest cities behind Tokyo, London, Paris, and Seoul. A low homicide rate of about an average of three murders per 100,000 people. 
kind of terrible by European standards, but actually comparable to New York, which I think kind of gets a bad rap when people think about crime because of the 70s and 80s. But it's far better now and ranks safer than other U.S. cities like Atlanta or Chicago. Most of Toronto's crime falls into the robbery and personal property crime. However, 2018 saw the highest numbers of murders that year, with 98 murders, and surpassed New York City's per capita rates. But this was, however, partially due to the Toronto van attacks, which accounted for 10 murders in one single act, which I think we're going to get to that case down the road. And when it comes to violence of the domestic or intimate partner type, Peel and the rest of the greater Toronto area don't fare any better than any other place on the planet, really. In Canada, between 120 and 160 women and girls are murdered each year, and 64% of us know someone who has been abused. Toronto had about 5,000 investigations of domestic violence in 2018, and one hotline reported that they receive about 5,000 calls every year looking for refuge. So with all of those stats and facts in your brain, we're going to move to Mississauga and the area of Peel. On a dreary, misty, and rather cool Thursday, November 1st, 2018, employees of Henderson Machinery Moving Company, which is a third-generation family-owned industrial logistics company whose warehouse had sat at 3446 Mavis Road, just off Central Parkway for the past 50 years, started to straggle into their early morning shift around 5.30 that morning. The company didn't actually open until 7.30, but the warehouse liked to get a jump on the day. The building itself kind of reminds me of the Dunder Mifflin from the office. It's a large square building, and the front is adorned with the usual brick and black window frames, and the back of the building is the warehouse where the brick siding abruptly ends and is replaced with vertical metal siding. And when the first warehouse employee entered the metal door to the warehouse, it took him a few seconds to wrap his brain around what he was seeing. His co-worker and one of the lead hands, which is like a supervisor, 56-year-old Ross Inberg, was hanging from the roof beams and was clearly deceased. Henderson isn't a large company with only 17 employees, and most of them work in the office, so it's very likely whoever this employee was knew Ross rather well. Panicked and not sure what to do, he called 911. He was beyond help, but you can't just call a coroner to come and pick up the body, so calling the police was pretty standard, even when a person's death isn't likely the result of a criminal act. Police still have to come and check it all out, because suicide and homicides are actually more closely related than we like to think, and you wouldn't believe the number of murderers that think making a death look like a suicide is a clear path to getting off scot-free, which, by the way, is a term that I'm allowed to use. I looked it up, because I tend to look up random facts. The term scot-free actually has nothing to do with Scotland or Scottish people, and the American mythology that the term comes from a slave named Dred Scott living in Virginia in 1857 that took his enslavement to the Supreme Court asking for his freedom, who was denied but later freed by his master, the Blow family, is also not true. I mean, it's true that it happened, but not where the term comes from. Scott is the translated version of scat, the Scandinavian term for taxes. So scot-free just means someone that doesn't pay tax, which I realize now has nothing to do with getting away with murder, but it's a saying and I said it. Because saying the number of murderers that think making a death look like suicide is a clear path to getting away with murder is too much use of the word murder in one sentence. 
Anyways, when police arrived to assess the scene, they learned from this employee that Ross's wife and next of kin is 47-year-old woman named Linda Santos living at the apartment complex of Cedar Glen Gate near Dundas Street. Linda had been staying with her daughter Shania, who was in the eighth month of her first pregnancy, helping her prepare for Shania's entrance into motherhood and the arrival of her second grandchild. Her son Tyler's partner was also pregnant with their second child, so it was an exciting time for Linda, who was described as a devoted mother who cherished her kids. When preparing themselves to give a next-of-kin notification to Linda, always a terrible job no officer enjoys, either one of the employees mention or they discover doing a quick background check on Ross, I'm not sure which, but they learn that in 2017 Ross had been charged with assault against Linda and had been found guilty in December of that year, and was just finished his probation on that charge. And this little fact raises the hairs on the back of the officer's neck that something doesn't feel right about this. This isn't just a one-off suicide by a depressed employee. Choosing your place of employment to end your life isn't particularly frequent, and Ross was a dedicated and good employee by all accounts, and not someone that you could consider disgruntled, at least not by his job but perhaps by his family life. So the police head to 1000 Cedar Glen Gate to check things out, which is only about a four-minute drive down Mavis. Basically, you just travel southeast on Mavis for a couple of blocks and then turn right onto Dundas and you're there. Cedar Glen Gate is a rather nondescript mid-rise apartment complex with 100 units over five floors. Ross lived in a ground-floor unit, and inside the apartment, police discovered the body of Linda, who they surmised had been dead for about 24 hours or since the Wednesday night and had died by manual strangulation. What's kind of muddy about this, besides everything, uh, because there's literally no information on it, is that it's not really clear who lived where. With the proximity to Ross's work, it makes sense that this would be the couple's apartment. But according to Shania's friend, Linda was living with Shania at the time, so I'm not sure at all but what it sounds like is that Shania and Linda were living elsewhere at the time and that this was the apartment that the couple had shared, but she had moved out temporarily to help Shania with the baby. According to Shania's friend Tina, Linda had moved into Shania's place or they had gotten a place together under the ruse of Shania's pregnancy. Now, this would have been during Ross's probation and after the 2017 assault. It doesn't sound like Ross was Shania or Tyler's father, so this was probably a second marriage for Linda and one scarred by episodes of verbal, emotional, and physical abuse. Linda had come by the apartment on October 31st to inform Ross that she would not be returning. He became enraged and strangled her, leaving her body in the apartment, and then made the four-minute drive to his work in the middle of the night and hung himself from the metal beams in the warehouse for his co-workers to stumble upon. And because this was deemed a murder-suicide, it didn't go to trial. So there's no court documents and the news barely picked up the story because of the lack of details. So unfortunately, there isn't much more I can really fill you in on. Unless Shania or Tyler or someone that knew Linda well listens and reaches out to me to tell me more about Linda and her relationship with Ross and what was happening in the days and weeks leading up to this tragedy. But what I can tell you is that Shania's friend Tina did set up a GoFundMe page to help 21-year-old Shania with funeral costs for her mom and to help her out with the new baby who was born just a couple of months after the murder of her mom 
and the baby's grandma. Tina said on her GoFundMe page, Linda Santos was a devoted mother, daughter, and sister. She cherished and loved her children, working tirelessly every day provided for them and their families. Linda's life was cut tragically short on Thursday, November 1st, when she was found murdered by her husband. In her passing, she left behind her daughter Shania and son Tyler. In this difficult time, this GoFundMe page aims to provide financial aid to help cover funeral costs, as well as to support Shania and her newborn. Shania is due in about a month and her brother is having his second child right now. She was reliant on her mother for a lot of things and she just lost her. On November 7th, a week after Linda's murder, the Peel Committee Against Women Abuse released a statement reading in part, Mississauga Peel Committee Against Women Abuse, the PCAWA, is deeply saddened and outraged to share the news that Linda Santos, age 47, was found murdered in a condominium in Mississauga. PCAWA sends our deepest condolences to her family and friends. Linda Santos' death is a profound loss for our community. Linda Santos is the sixth femicide in Peel since the start of 2018. PCAWA understands that Linda's death is not an isolated incident, but in fact reflects the experience of many women in Canada. As the Canadian Women's Foundation reports, approximately every six days a woman in Canada is murdered by her intimate partner. November is Women Abuse Awareness Month, and the fact is that women experience myriad forms of violence from sexual harassment to sexual assault, relationship abuse, and femicide. The threat and reality of violence are a seemingly inescapable aspect of women's lives. This disturbing reality must be challenged and we must continue to call attention to and take action against the violence women face in their daily lives. PCAWA encourages our community to speak up and challenge the bystander effect. If you see or suspect a woman is experiencing violence, offer your support and share information about available resources. It is our collective responsibility to work together to create safe and just society for all women. The violence must stop. Linda Santos was the sixth woman killed by family members or a romantic partner in 2018, just in the district of Peel alone. Joining the list of Baljeet Bandi, Avtar Carr, Elaine Belvenu, Hoden Siad, and Alicia Lewandowski, who was only 25. And one month later, 83-year-old Maria Ariu would join the list and make it seven on December 25th. I'm going to be right back after this brief commercial break. I think, I don't know, I never know. Try to put the ad breaks in where I think that they're going to go, and I never know. That same year, they saw 16,000 domestic cases that police were called to with the reasons of population growth cited as the reason for this increase. Of those 16,000, charges were laid in only 2,400 of them. And just like most major Canadian cities, there are supports in place for women and men, including counselling, legal support services, and shelters. Most of them are full beyond capacity in turning people away or putting them on waiting lists. And the Peel police officers do undergo a domestic violence investigators course over a four-day period, and domestic dispute calls are supposed to be given the highest priority. But what they don't have, and really no city seems to have, is a more holistic approach where services are all coordinated together, 
like a roundtable type of discussion. But there is some good news for Peel. Liren Daugherty, the program manager of the Women Abuse Council, has been working on putting together a pilot program, a multi-agency risk assessment conference. And she is quoted as saying, we know based on research into, into domestic homicide that there are identifiable risk factors. Separation, increased frequency and violence or severity pending separation, particularly if there are children involved, a woman is at greater risk if she's pregnant. And if there are more risk factors, there is a higher risk of domestic homicide. So what they want to do with this program is similar to a program in the UK where it has been used and since adopted then in Switzerland, Finland, and Austria. They found that abuse is being reported earlier and that once reported, no further abuse is suffered in more than 40% of the cases. Communities in the U.S. have also started using it, seeing the success that they've had in the U.K. The program itself works by sharing information between programs and systems about high-risk cases. It assesses the risks, the needs of the victim, and coordinates a custom safety plan for that victim. And the aim is to reduce repeated domestic violence incidences. Natalie Lewandowski, who's the daughter of Alicia Lewandowski, who was also killed by her partner in 2018, is advocating for more funding and resources for women fleeing violence. And like a woman after my own heart feels that the education around teaching women and men to understand the differences between healthy and unhealthy relationships will go a long way to preventing further tragedy and thinks that perhaps insight into warning signs could help others even though it was too late to help her mom. She says, quote, I want to go out to schools and speak out. And as I said about Racha Aldeb, may the force be with you, girl. I think teaching relationships, setting boundaries, and how to responsibly use a credit card should be the three core subjects in all schools these days. When was the last time you needed to know the route of 874 or on what day the Cold War started? But setting boundaries in your relationships that could be life-changing. And that was the murder of Linda Santos. I'm sorry that this was such a short episode, but there was just such a frustratingly low amount of information out there for me to build on. And I never want to fill in details that I'm not sure about. But I think that Linda's story is important to tell. And this was just one murder in one community in one month of 2018. I'm going to be back again next week with another case. In the meantime, I I could just ask you to subscribe, write a review, hit that rate button. You can send me an email, tell your friends about the podcast. That would be much appreciated. And I thank you so much for listening. I know you told your friend you're not okay. And tell me what's wrong and why you never said you felt that With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.